This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. The Houston Rockets live to play another game. Um, Their fourth straight elimination game win, the Houston Rockets beat the Golden State Warriors 128 to 115. James Harden explodes for 45 points. I'm here with my good friend MK Bauer of the Sports Exchange. All of that great news, MK, maybe the most important news of all, is they finally beaten the Golden State Warriors, playing their eighth game against them this season. It took a heroic offensive effort to do so, and it's interesting, you know, when you contrast tonight's performance against what the Warriors did defensively in Game 3, it's pretty remarkable that the Rockets came out with a level of energy, and obviously the shot proficiency to kind of get that big lead they needed to hold on from that point moving forward. Look, I think it took a lot of things going right for them to win this game. Um, and, and it's going to take that sort of performance again in Golden State. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that when they play great offense, as they did for stretches in Game 1, as they did for stretches in Game 2, as they did for most of night in Game 4, they can challenge Golden State. And it, it may seem difficult to wrap your mind around that because Golden State had won every matchup prior to tonight in this season series, but I think it, it takes that level of proficiency offensively for the Rockets to challenge this team, and at least they've shown they can do that. Uh, they should have a reservoir of confidence available in recognizing that, hey, if we play this level of offense, we can beat this team. Why they've been so inconsistent, that remains to be seen. Clearly a lot of that has to do with how well Golden State plays defensively, and they are the best defensive team in the league. But when the Rockets are clicking, when they're running, when they're in transition, and when they're going downhill, when they're just assertive offensively, they can be one of the best teams in the league, and they're capable of beating this team. You know, I think it's I think frustrating for a lot of people because if not for this game three, the, whole, the whole entire story of this series is different. Uh, they get completely destroyed in game three, lose by 35 points. James Harden goes three for 16. But it was the first two games were so competitive. If the Rockets get that game three, where there were a two-two series, and, and people are talking about how the Rockets might have you know be outplaying the Warriors in this series, they certainly were very competitive in the first two games. Harden is such a big story here. He, uh, you know, as mentioned, he goes three for 16 in game three. Tonight goes for 45 points. I believe that's a playoff best for him. 13 of 22 from the field, 7 of 11 from three-point range. Uh, 45 points on 22 shots. Just a monster game from him. That's the thing that's been missing, a three-point shooting. He, he's had big playoff scoring games thus far this year, but a lot of it has been based on his ability to get to the free throw line. That wasn't really that much of a factor tonight. It was that three-point shooting. It was extraordinary. And when he has that kind of shot going, I think it lends itself to everything else kind of falling into place for him. Look, he has a he has a dynamic scoring repertoire. We all know that in terms of his ability to make the step-back jumper, to get to the rim, to make free throws, to make three-pointers. But so much is predicated on his ability to make three-pointers. When he's making three-pointers, he's almost impossible to stop. And, and we saw that tonight, that the Warriors ran bodies at him. They did a lot of different things to kind of negate his, his ability to kind of get going. But the three-point shooting makes him almost unguardable. And when he made that those, those run of threes, kind of starting in the second quarter, because he really didn't get to a great scoring start for the team tonight. When he got that kind of going, you knew it was going to be a tough night for Golden State. 
You know, I want to apologize real quick, too, for the beeping that you heard in the background. I have to laugh a little bit about this. We're in Houston right now. We're in just getting some atrocious weather uh, after the game, and fans are still in the Toyota Center because they've asked fans not to leave. There's uh, Streets are flooded in, in the northern part of town. Uh, and so we're not on the Toyota Center floor tonight. We're actually in the basement of the Toyota Center, and you heard uh, a golf cart coming by. But uh, Harden, uh, you know, it's funny. He had, you know, the heroic Game 7 against uh, the Clippers, um, had some good games against Dallas, had some very good games in the first two series, has that clunker, and now we've got this story come out about how he's out partying with Drake the night before uh, Game 3, and... People are, are, are souring on Harden and sort of ignoring all that other stuff and just automatically dismissing this as he's out partying late and therefore he struggled. What did you take from that sort of narrative? Yeah, you know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine about this yesterday and it likened to me how different things have changed over the, over the 20 years or so since Jordan was notorious for, for gambling late into the night and still yeah. going out and having great playoff games the following afternoon. And, and I, I get a lot of this has to do specifically with James and his reputation for being in the clubs, for liking gentlemen's clubs in particular, for liking certain type of ladies, a certain type of lifestyle. And I get it. You know, he's, for whatever reason, I don't understand this, he's kind of become a despised NBA superstar. And there are plenty of people who take their shots at them. And this sort of thing plays into the narrative of who he is as a player. A guy who's not fully committed to the cause. You know, a guy who puts his social life ahead of the responsibilities of being a player. I think a lot of that is nonsense, clearly. You know, at 25 and single, he's allowed to do what he wants to do in his free time. Sure. And I don't think any of that impacts his ability to play the game. I think he had a bad shooting game in game three because the Warriors threw a certain defense at him that disengages the ability to kind of be an offensive force. And then a lot of his game, too, let's be honest, is, is based on how his teammates are shooting. When they don't make shots, it makes it more difficult for him. So... I get that people want to talk about this because of who he is as a person, A, and B, the other people involved, specifically Drake, who is obviously a partying hip-hop star, but I think a lot of it's just utter nonsense, and let the dude be his, who he's going to be off the court and hold him accountable for what he does between the lines. Tonight yeah. he was fantastic, game three he was not. That's kind of been part of for the course of I mean, He has a couple bad games here and there, but when he returns to play well, he plays extraordinarily well. Let's kind of focus the attention yeah. on that. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I do think that part at, part of it was overblown. I do think some of the villain stuff with Harden, a, a little bit of this is, is his own doing. I think sometimes with the media, he's you know sort of short and just, you know, I don't want to say dismissive. He just doesn't seem to, to be as open. I mean, just as an example, today we saw Steph Curry. I think Curry... Uh, for whatever reason, it's more open, more, a little speaking longer. I think to, in giving longer answers, James is more, a little bit more brief. But then there's also just a lot of reasons. Perfect storm of why the Rockets are the villain. There's the Daryl Morey angle, the Dwight Howard angle, uh, James Harden. But I, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. I don't understand how Harden has become the bad guy and, and Curry the the good guy. You know, and that what has been painted in this series. Three-point shooting tonight, out of control. I cannot believe the Rockets win and win big in a game in which the Golden State Warriors hit 20 three-pointers on 46 attempts, almost 44% from three-point range. I would have said if just if somebody told me just that number alone, I would have said the Rockets would have lost by 10 to 20 points. Uh, and that's what it took. It took 128 points for the Rockets to keep that team at bay. 
Um, and the Rockets themselves go 17 of 32. They go 8 of 9 from three-point range in a first quarter in which they put up 45 points. That really, Steve Kerr said that was the game. I wish he had told me that then because I was uh, sweating it out in the second through fourth quarters. Um, but that first quarter when the Rockets just blew them away with 45 points was, was the difference. And I think that's the point. You, you make the most salient point there that the Warriors shot great for the course of the game, but the first quarter is when the Rockets won the game by going 8 for 9, and the Warriors conversely shot 4 15 from, from three-point range. They caught up because their three-point shooting was great from the third quarter moving forward, but the Rockets built enough of a lead to hold them off simply by going 8 for 9 from deep in the first quarter. And I kind of leaned over to you at the end of the first quarter and, and noticed that the Rockets shot 95.5% from effective field goal percentage and, and, that, crazy. and that's not sustainable yeah. and it wasn't through the course of the game but that lead was so big that they were able to weather run at the run the, the, the Clay Thompson inspired run at the Curry I heard the second quarter the runs the, the Warriors made in the fourth quarter ultimately getting it to six after a barrage of three pointers from you know Andre Iguodala and, and, and Curry and Leandro Barbosa they made those shots but again and we've seen this in the NBA if the league gets too big you're digging 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 to get out of that hole and ultimately, you run out of energy, and the, and that's where Harden stepped in again. It, it was interesting to note how I thought he picked and chose the spots very well. And again, 45 points and 22 shots is indicative of that. He wasn't just shooting; he understood when he needed to score. And after the Warriors cut it to six at 104 to 98 late in that game, Harden scored seven consecutive points. Then had the alley oop pass to Dwight Howard to make it 111 to 98, and basically put the game out of reach. 114 if I'm not mistaken. That's what he does, and I think that's why he's he's a different level superstar because it's not all just shooting; it's facilitating, it's getting other guys involved, it's understanding when to pick and choose your spots, and he's matured there. My concern is this: as well as the Rockets played offensively tonight, that shooting is not sustainable. They have to play better defensively for longer stretches of time. They did not do so tonight simply because it's a big lead. Can they go back into Oakland? and do what they did in spots in games one and two for a long stretch of time and win that game. They can. Do they have the mentality to, to hang on against a superior team and do it? That, that, that's the question I have as we roll this thing over to Wednesday night. Yeah, it was interesting. I think it was when it was 104-98 is when I believe what how Harden kicked off those seven quick points was his first was on a couple of free throws on a drive. Draymond Green made a, a crack after the game saying, hey, if I, you know, he didn't say he didn't foul him, but he said, if I don't foul him there, I think the Rockets crack, and he, which I thought was interesting. He didn't really have too many positive things to say about the Rockets. I think certainly he took great pride in the fact that they had never lost to them. And I think they were, you know, for for him, a guy who you know is a it's a prideful player. I think that was an interesting comment. But and he played very very well tonight. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Before yeah. fouling out at, at the very end, but uh, I think he put up with 21 and 15. He's been a problem all series for the Rockets. Big moment in this game as well. Uh, Steph Curry's fall, second quarter. Very scary fall on a fast break. Trevor Ariza uh, on a fast break was, you know, planted both feet, was going up for a layup and faked. Curry went, you know, jumped for the block and basically his legs got tripped up on on, uh, Ariza's back, I believe. Landed on his shoulders, head uh, area, and very scary moment here in the Toyota Center. he was, you know, probably for five minutes. The bench was surrounding him. They were. He was down, and it looked like maybe he was going to be taken off on a stretcher. But he did uh, get up on his own power, uh, walked off gingerly uh, you know, to the to the locker room, and missed about a quarter of action. I got to say, I was uh, proud of the reaction from the the Houston fans here. They gave him a, a loud ovation uh, when he got up and showed to be all right. But he did miss uh, basically about 12 minutes. He came back in the third quarter with about 5:58 left, and. The Warriors had actually whittled that 19-point rocket lead at that time when he went down to nine when he came back. So I don't really think it was 
you know, certainly he's a great player, but I don't think him being out hurt them because Clay Thompson in that second quarter was just out of control. Finally caught fire after missing his first three shots, made five or six in a row, including three three-pointers. But that was certainly a big story in this game. It was weird to, to watch how the Rockets reacted to that because I think your initial, you know, judgment is that they're going to run away from this thing because Curry's out. And as you mentioned, it's like we all kind of lost sight of how great of a player Clay Thompson can be, yeah. forgetting he had 37 points in a quarter earlier this season. When he got going, the, the shot, again, the release is almost as quick as Steph's. He has the height advantage at 6'7". He jumps very well in his, in his jumper. Man, that thing went down so fast. And you're just like, my gosh. this. And I think it's back to a point you were making earlier about the, the depth of the team is better than the Rockets. And they can turn to multiple guys to get eight three-pointers or just any sort of level of scoring that you can't get from the Rockets when Harden is not scoring. And that's the one thing that stood out to me is how quickly that league got cut down how the Rockets needed a Jason Terry three-pointer at the end of the half just to get it back up to double digits, and how it was all falling apart without Steph Curry in the game. And even when Curry came back in, he was a little bit wobbly, and it took him some while to get going, and the Warriors still hung in there. So you know, there are so many checkpoints where you wonder how the Rockets overcome and went on the road, even though we know what we saw in games one and game two. That's part of it. But understanding that if, if Thompson gets going, that they still don't have anybody capable of even defending him consistently enough yeah. to thwart his scoring binges. So that was a strange episode because I thought the Rockets, instead of seizing the moment and just jumping on, 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 on the Warriors and putting them away for good, opened the door back up and let the Warriors come back in. And really, that's what kind of led to the back and forth from that point deep into the fourth quarter where they still would have trailed the ball in six points. That's the uh, beauty of the Warriors from their standpoint, nightmare for the Rockets, that you've got two perimeter players that you've got to have lockdown defenders on. I mean, the Rockets have an Ariza that they can throw on one guy, and then that's about it. You're, you're uh, in danger on the perimeter there. Yeah, we'll see how that affects him. He seemed he made it sound like it was you know okay, he didn't suffer a concussion the way he made it sound. He ran through tests during that time that he was out. Um, and you know he airballed his first shot. I think he I can't, he did something else on his second shot, missed it. And then blocked by Terrence Jones. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, and then he seemed to lock in a little bit there. He, he ended up hitting six of thirteen uh, from three point range on the night. Another big story from this game, and let's hope it doesn't come back to haunt the Rockets. Dwight Howard's hit slash elbow slash swing slash punch at uh, Andrew Bogut early in the third quarter where he and Bogut got tangled up and Dwight just sort of reacted and threw an arm and elbow backwards that seemed to connect with Bogut. Uh, we were we had a great view on that. We saw it right when it happened, and I knew right away that was an ugly play. I was surprised, uh, or I should say I thought he was going to be tossed from the game. Um, it was called a common foul initially. They, they reviewed it and uh, called it a flagrant one. The concern is that the NBA, especially after the Al Horford incident against Cleveland with Della that they may review this, call it a flagrant two, and Dwight could be suspended for game five, which would be a killer for the Rockets. Uh, at first blush, I thought he should have been ejected because the first thing that came to mind was the elbow that, that Horford put on Della and me thinking at that moment that this was just as egregious of a foul in a circumstance. And look, we've talked about this at nauseam with Dwight. He can't allow himself to be baited or, or bullied or get so upset in moments that he does things like this. And really, that was a sequence of events where he tried to score at least, I think, twice in succession against Bogut in the post. And Bogus is a bigger, stronger player than him. It just kind of rooted him out, and he missed shots. And then Bogus kind of clutching and grabbing at him on that rebound attempt, and he loses his mind and throws, his, throws the arm. These things can't happen. And, and it's amazing to me that this deep into his career, after all these postseason games, he still has these moments where he's so frustrated that he literally lashes out. 
you can't lash out in this spot because I think ultimately, and yeah, we're kind of on the fence on this, and we're not hedging here. I don't know how the NBA is going to react to it, but to me, he deserves to be ejected. And I feel that way objectively. I don't know how they can look at that film and not not agree with that. And yeah. I think they're going to take a long look at it and, and say, you know what, he legitimately swung and connected at, at Bogan, and he deserves yeah. to sit out a game. And if that happens, then that's going to make an uphill climb that much steeper for the Rockets on, on Wednesday night. Certainly. I think the only hope that... Uh, we may have is they may look at this and say, hey, uh, we don't want this deciding the series. But at the same time, given that it came just on the heels of this, uh, you know, incident in the Eastern Conference Finals, I, I don't know how they could, uh, you know, they, they're probably going to want to keep this consistent. And, I, you know, I agree. This is a problem with Dwight. I think he's, granted, he deals with a lot of physical abuse. There's no doubt about it. He dealt with it with Tyson Chandler, DeAndre Jordan, now Bogut. I mean, he's had his hands full uh, in, in, through the entire playoffs. But he's got to handle this better. I mean, this is – he has to know, especially given that he's picked up so many technicals in the playoffs and one technical away from, a, I believe, a one-game suspension. He's got to handle this better, and that that was extremely unfortunate. Uh, you know, there's something bothering me in this series as well, and that's Corey Brewer has been completely ineffective, just been – frankly awful in this series, shooting 29% from the field, uh, giving you less than 7 points a game, 0 for 7 from 3 point range. Uh, this is, I mean, this is a guy that the, the team has counted on. Uh, it, it certainly was big in, in the uh, three games where they came back against the Clippers and was huge in the Mavs series. He's been uh, almost a zero in this Warrior series so far. Passing up open three-pointers, um, missing wide-open layups, dribbling into traffic when, it's, when he has a, a, an open shot before he puts the ball on the floor. I'm not quite understanding what's going on with him. And I get that guys go through ruts as players. It happens. You hate to see it happen in a postseason series, particularly when you're behind the eight ball for the course of the series. But he's just struggling right now. And unfortunately for the Rockets, they don't have anybody in terms of the rotation that can replace him. He's so integral to what they do defensively in terms of providing energy off the bench. It's kind of running around healthy skeleton transition. And if you're getting nothing out of him, there's no one else you can turn to and say, go in there and get him. It's kind of stuck on Corey Brewer. And I think he's done some things defensively to kind of hold the line a little bit. But by and large, he's giving you nothing offensively. That makes it that much more difficult as he's trying to build some momentum back into this series. And, you know, he has to find a way to get better. And the same kind of positive Josh Smith is amazing. We're all kind of in awe how well he played in the first quarter. The turnover started from that point moving forward. He was really kind of bad the last three quarters of the game. Yeah, it, it, We've talked about this before. You know, They represent the bulk of their bench. I'm speaking of, of, of Brewer and Smith. And if those, those guys don't play well, that makes it really, really difficult for the Rockets to win games. I think tonight Smith gave them just enough early to build that lead. And Harden obviously was fantastic enough to close it out. But they're not going to win a game in Oakland if both of those guys play poorly or if one plays poorly for three quarters and the other guy doesn't show up. They desperately need those guys to step in and have good games. Yeah, you mentioned Josh Smith. Uh, Harden gave him a lot of credit tonight for certainly setting the tone. He was, you know, hit three threes in the first quarter alone. Was seven of eight for this game. Hits, hit his first seven shots, 20 points, six rebounds, five assists. But as you mentioned, six turnovers, three of 12 from the free throw line. When, they, when the Warriors were making that run, and by the way, the Warriors are tailor-made. If there's a team that can be effective using the Hacka strategy, Hacka whoever, it's the Warriors, given how good they are from three-point range. If you're going to be swapping Josh Smith and Dwight Howard trips to the line with Klay Thompson and Steph Curry three-point shot attempts, you're going to get some points there. But Josh Smith goes 3 of 12 from the line. They had to take him out in that fourth quarter because he was just so bad he could not hit free throws. And, I, and I've made this point before, Dave, if I can interject. Yeah. Go back and look at his first seven or eight years in the league with Atlanta. He was a 70% free throw shooter. I mean, I know there's been a lot of 
consternation over the, him and Dwight in particular, their inability to make free throws and their form and their practicing. Are they doing enough? Look, he was an effective free throw shooter early in his career. This is clearly all between the ears. You don't lose the ability to shoot free throws. It's strange. You don't suddenly go from 67 to 68, 70% to 47% over the course of a career before you hit 30 without some sort of catastrophic injury, without it just being in your head. And I think that's the most disturbing part to me. There's nothing about his game that indicates that he should shoot this poorly from the line. The game where he missed, what, 14 free throws earlier this year, yeah. it's mind-numbing. And tonight, to have to be pulled from a game because you can't make free throws, it blows me away, particularly when you've shown before that you can make them like at an average clip like any other NBA player. And were you amazed there was a time when Steph Curry, and I might have been Clay Thompson, they started to sprint towards Dwight, realized that's Dwight, no, no, we got to go to Josh Smith, and they went to foul Josh Smith. They're fouling Josh Smith over Dwight Howard. It's stunning because yeah. Dwight's off. And to me, his form is much worse than Josh's form, yet they chose Smith there because I think it's clear to everybody on the court he doesn't want to be on the line. And I don't know how you can be that ballsy. And we talk about his audaciousness all the time with passing, with shooting, yet when he gets to the free throw line when there's no one guarding you, you have 10 seconds to shoot the shot, you can do whatever you want to do. That's what he doesn't want to do. I mean, he makes these crazy passes in transition in the half court, takes all types of three-pointers. Yet in that spot, he doesn't want to do it. It, it, it blows me away. And I'll, we talk about sports psychology a lot. He's a guy that needs it because I don't know how you got to this point in your career where you don't trust yourself with the line when you were clearly proficient enough back in the day to do it. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's absolutely strange. How big is it that they at least beat this team once? I know we're talking about a moral victory here. A, gen- a gentleman's sweep, as they call it. Yeah, but they they were 0-7 against the Warriors this year, and many of those games were not competitive. I think it was a good sign that they were competitive in those first two in Oakland, but just to get a win, because you're even if you don't win the, the, the title this year, you're still looking at beyond, and you've got to build this offseason to compete against this Warriors team. So how important is just getting one win against them? It helps. I think from a pride standpoint, more than anything else, I don't know how much you gain mentally if you lose game five and lose a series four games to one. It's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. I think it helps individually for James Harden to have the kind of game he had coming off of a poor game three. I think it helps in terms of if you want to talk about adjustments, even though I didn't really see a whole lot from the coaching staff here um, compared to game three. I think ultimately things don't carry over season to season. We've talked about the suit last year. The Rockets and the Warriors were pretty evenly matched this year. For whatever reason, the Warriors stepped up defensively to dominate the season series against the Rockets. So I don't know how much they gained by winning one game, moving into the offseason, getting ready for next year. I just think it does a lot for your, your the way you feel about yourself, how you look in the mirror and go forward when you don't get swept and you don't lose at home. And yeah. What's going to happen to Atlanta tomorrow night potentially is different because you're going to get swept on the road and those things happen all the time. I think to lose consecutive games at home, it loses a sour taste in your mouth. And maybe that's the key point. Like Going into the offseason, you want to focus on the amount of progress you made as a franchise by getting out of the first round and then winning uh, in classic fashion against the Clippers in the second round. That's undermined a little bit if you lose at home and get swept. So kudos to them for taking care of that. It sets the stage for them to go back to Oakland where they played very well in games one and game two. Maybe they build a little bit of momentum. I think you have to feel good about how you played earlier in this series there. There's no reason to go there and be fearful of how you're playing. The White Howard thing obviously looms over whether he gets suspended, but they've shown they can play very well in Oakland. And maybe they do slowly build the momentum like they did in game five here against the Clippers, and some of the things turn around once they get back to Oakland, or in that case, got back to L.A. So the series is 3-1. It goes back to Oakland here Wednesday. And, uh, yeah, the Rockets have come back from a 3-1 series deficit even recently. But just to give a little bit of perspective on how difficult this will be, the Warriors were 39-2, two two losses in 41 games at home this year in the regular season. The Rockets need to give them two losses in their next two there. And that's in between winning a game six here in Houston. 
huge task ahead of them, taking it one game at a time. And right now we're going to hopefully uh, knock on wood that Dwight Howard's able to play in this uh, game five. That's MK Bauer. I appreciate you doing this, MK. And hopefully we will have a game six. See you later, Dave.